Are they talking about banning the shift again? Get out of here with that stuff. I mean, there's a lot more solutions that are simpler than that in baseball. It's ridiculous. All right, we've covered that topic. How you doing? Ray Woodson back with you. Thank you for joining us. And uh, before we get going, a personal note, we have purchased a dojo in uh, the Phoenix area in Arizona. So we will be there for spring training, a lot of the off-season activities surrounding baseball starting next month. Very excited about that. We will be bouncing back and forth between the Valley of the Sun and the Bay Area. Uh, We will get into the winter meetings in this podcast just a little bit. It's a little risky to talk about the winter meetings because even if I'm doing a podcast from the lobby of the hotel where they're having the meetings, by the time I record it and by the time you hear it, a lot of things could have changed. But I don't anticipate a great deal having to do with the Giants. But there are a couple of stories circulating. We'll get into that and how Farhan Zaidi is uh, attacking this. Uh, You know, he's just formed his front office and still has not hired a general manager. So I don't expect a bunch right away. Always possibility for a surprise, but more than likely after the meetings. Uh, it's, it's a meeting to have meetings about meetings, and then you have more meetings after that. And then something finally gets done, and something could get done by Christmas time. In the meantime, one of the best baseball stories I ever read was about Hall of Famer Rod Carew from a couple of years ago. You re- might remember this, his need for a heart transplant and the operation where he actually received the heart and kidney of former Stanford and NFL tight end Conrad Ruland, who had suffered a brain aneurysm and died just a few days earlier. In fact, Wednesday is the second anniversary of his death. Ruland had attended middle school with Carew's children, and they didn't find out until later that it was indeed his heart in Rod Carew's chest. And there was the story about how Mary Ruland, Conrad's mother, visited Carew a few months later and actually put her ear to Carew's chest to hear her son's beating heart. It was a story brilliantly written by Daniel Brown, then of the Mercury News, but as of this month, with The Athletics. So we are happy to catch up with Daniel to talk some Baseball Tuesday. All right, as I've said before on my podcast, I like getting smart people on. makes me look bad, but it makes this podcast sound good. So uh, along those lines, we've got Daniel Brown of The Athletic, formerly of the Mercury News. And uh, as many of you may know, Dan is married to Susan Slesser of The Chronicle, former president of the Baseball Writers Association of America. He just moved to The Athletic. And among other things, he's one of the very best storytellers uh, in Bay Area sports writing. So we're really happy to have him on to talk about Giants and uh, Major League Baseball. So, uh, Dan, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is my first uh, radio gig as an athletic member. So this is history in the making here. There it is. Now, that must have been quite a decision. I'm sure you and Susan talked a lot about it to make that leap. Yeah, I mean, I had been at the Mercury News since 1995, which in the newspaper business is 10,000 years. So emotionally it was difficult, but the athletics doing really exciting things. I think you mentioned that storytelling is kind of my niche in this world, and they're trying to do more and more of that, and they do it really, really well. So uh, it feels weird to be starting over on something at age 49, but um, the athletic has been, you know, feels new to me, feels fresh. It is. It is. And they've really done a great job and they've gotten off the ground very fast, I think. And they keep they keep adding on top of that. And that's the kind of way we feel about what we're doing at Blue Wire as well as we keep adding cities. And, and uh, part of this is I love talking one on one with with folks around the Bay Area, writers, coaches, players and so forth. We're in the off season now, so it's a little heavier on, on writers, but it, it's a good time to get a get a good perspective on things. And speaking of storytelling, uh, 
you uh, retweeted a story that you wrote a while back about being at the winter meetings at the same time as Susan Slusser. And I think the line was, she's the person you wanted to see after the deadline, but the last person you wanted to see before the deadline. She's, uh, even to her husband, I can assure you, she's an absolute shark when it comes to competing for news. And the winter meetings is really kind of a shark tank. It's about agents, it's about coaches, it's about contacts, it's about work in the room. And that is her Super Bowl. Mm. And it's not mine. Like... (laughs) I like, you know, the games, the anecdotes, the fun stuff about baseball, but um, she just dives in and I sat and I made the mistake of sitting next to her while she's breaking news, while she's scooping me as we're competitive. This is the Mercury News versus Chronicle situation. And she would periodically tap me on the shoulder and say, hey, you might not I want to read what I just posted. And she wouldn't say like, oh, hey, I've got something coming on a trade. It would just be after it's over. Hey, check yeah. out the Chronicle right now. You just got, yeah. you just got burned was the implication. <laughs> So, so that's a fun little back and forth, but it's also serious. It's professional. Yeah, I mean, people think I'm joking half the time when I talk about the, the genuine journalism wall that exists in our household. There was a time Billy Bean, his, his number had been outdated. I don't think I put this in the story, but um, he goes, oh, yeah, just get, talk to Susan and get the new number. So I asked Susan for the new number, and she said, <laughs> I can't give it to you. I said, well, Billy just said to get it from you. And she's like, I, I can't give it to a competitor. So she takes it a tad seriously, but that's why she is who she is. Well, it's probably good to have a split plan uh, for the for the house, right? <laughs> right, right. I mean, there are times when we are working on the same story. For example, in the case of a trade, we'll, we'll be in the same house, but in different rooms trying to reach the same people. Wow. Right. So, and so I wrote that story, I think it was about a year ago to... Well, it was, the winter meetings was a year ago today that I, that I wrote about, and um, a couple sitcom producers have re- contacted us about doing it. Really? For a no- yeah, like, it's just so preposterous. It will, will seem made up, and talks have not gone far, but it really is feels like that situation in my house a lot, that we're living in a sitcom and that there should be a director yelling cut at some point. <laughs> Well, it's a little bit of a spin on The Odd Couple, right? Where, where Oscar was the, the sports writer, right. right? But now you've got both our sports writers. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I can see that that might uh, be some script writing possibilities there. So you never know. Uh, the, the story may be on uh, Fox or NBC or Maybe. CBS down the road. Maybe. That's a... Uh, that's a dynamic I don't think a lot of couples have. I don't. Are, do you aware well, of any other couples that I are competitive mean, like that? Um, I think part of the reason it resonated is even if people aren't, husband and wife aren't both sports writers, what we found just from the reaction is a lot of husband and wives have competitive relationships, mm-hmm. whether it's professional or maybe they play tennis on the weekends or game night at their house. So that little competitive dynamic between spouses is not... Uh, just us, right? It mm-hmm. kind of happens everywhere. So people really connected with it, and we ended up doing a lot of like marriage-related podcasts. And mm-hmm. uh, it was funny they'd ask for like marriage tips, and say, "Yeah, we'll just send your wife on the road for 120 <laughs> days a year, and that fixes a lot of it." Absolutely, that's my advice. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that worked for me all the times I was on the road. Not so much now. So yeah, I had to go to Plan B. Um, you wrote about Hunter Pence most recently, mm-hmm. and he was at a holiday event at AT&T Park, maybe kind of his last hurrah that maybe didn't a lot of fans didn't see, but you, you did write about that. Now he's off to the Dominican Republic. And, you know, this is a guy who is one of the most endearing figures in Giants history, without a doubt. They, they, they loved him for his personality and for a while for his level of play. Well, that fell off, and now he seems to have had that realization, hey, if I don't make drastic changes here, I'm not going to play anymore. 
Yeah, so what he did in the offseason is he went and retooled his swing. He worked with a hitting coach named Doug Lada, who works in conjunction with former uh, Major League player Marlon Byrd. And he was a little vague on the details because I said, what's different about your swing? And he said, everything. Mm. So philosophically, training, the muscles he engages when he swings, they're all different now. And it took... I think he was doing six or seven days a week, 90 minutes a day working with Bird. And it sounds like the, the, the closest thing to a detail is he's using his legs more to generate his power, more so than he talked about it's so much easier on his obliques, which he injured once or twice over the years. He said that the whole swing is easier on his body. He's very excited about it. I think that some of it's it's swing path. It's not the launch angle thing that so many hitters have been involved in, but it's just kind of a different way of attacking the ball where um, it's not about arm extension always. It's about just kind of this free-flowing thing. And, you know, that sounds like it would make sense for Hunter Pence, right? The free flow. Yeah. Anything free-flowing is, is what he's about. Yeah. So um, it's interesting. He was going to go play winter ball in the D Dominican Republic. Very few expectations. He didn't say necessarily, hey, I'm doing this to audition for a major league job. He's going, he said, I'm going to go down there to win, to compete, and whatever happens, happens. And he didn't know how many at-bats he was going to get, but it's really the first test of this new swing was going to be in the Dominican Republic. And I, I think probably what he's looking for is a little more bat speed uh, on top of everything else. But because we saw him last year when he did make solid contact, which wasn't very often, but when he did, he could still hit at 450 feet. Right, because he's such a terrific athlete. He stays in tremendous shape. I think everybody knows how well he, seriously, he takes nutrition. He looked super duper fit when we saw him at the Christmas uh, holiday event at AT&T Park. But the power... You know, the number of strikeouts he had last year, I can't remember, you know, whatever, 90 and 260 at-bats or something absurd. He's got to cut that down. Right. So whatever his swing is about, like you say, even in this game where contact has been minimized, he's got to do better than his strikeout rate of a year ago. Well, we'll see how that goes. I know a lot of people are rooting for him to come back somewhere in the major leagues, and I guess he hasn't ruled out the Giants. I don't know if the Giants have ruled out him, though. It just... Um, you know, it's one of those, like, Linscombe where you kind of know the marriage is, oh, even though it's still technically feasible, he's coming back. Like, that window certainly feels like it's been closed. He said a couple teams have contacted him. Maybe they're waiting to see how he does with this new swing, maybe get some look at him. Uh, but nothing sounds imminent in terms of a deal. Daniel Brown of The Athletic now is joining us on uh, Triple's Alley Report. And I have to say Daniel because I have a friend named Dan Brown. So I don't, <laughs> There's more than one of us? Yeah, it's amazing. What are the odds? So uh, I was going to ask you about um, Farhan Zaidi, uh, who is making his debut as the Giants' vice president of baseball operations. And I don't know. Uh, he, he's, when he's at the introductory news conference, he's saying all the right things. I asked him about where, whether you fully intend to make this a competitive team in 2019. I mean, what's he going to say at this point? But he had to have a specific plan when he went into those interviews with the front office. And looking at this team, it just seems like right now he needs to get bodies in there. They've got empty roster spots, and they've got a farm system they need to retool. So the first steps were to you know, name a replacement to John Barr, but he kept John Barr around. So what do you think of so far? I mean, it's obviously very early, but the, the hire and, and how he's going to attack this. Yeah, I think it's a good hire. I think his reputation in the game is pretty sterling, and that's not always the case. You can usually find somebody somewhere to whisper something bad about a guy, and 
I think Farhan is one of those numbers guys who's also personable mm -hmm. and relatable and engaging, and I think that has won a lot of people over. I think that one of the things he talked about at the winter meeting yesterday in terms of adding personnel is he's looking for versatility, and that's positional versatility, somebody who can play multiple positions, you know, a catcher who also has a corner infield glove somewhere in his, in his bag, and outfielders who can play all three spots. The Giants roster looked old, felt old. They're not athletic. They're not dynamic. They're not, they're not built for anything. So I think one of the things that's high on his list is versatility. And that's why, you know, for example, Andy Baggerly from our place wrote a story about how Scooter Gannett was kind of on the radar. Pretty productive second baseman, yeah. a lot of pop, but he doesn't play other places. Mm -hmm. So for that reason, Zaidi, I think by name, ruled him out because he's not what they're looking for at this point. They're looking for, you know, like a Justin Turner type who can play different spots. And look at the way, um, what's his name, Chris Taylor yeah. filled in a bunch of different spots. That's what the Giants are going to kind of do this offseason. Yeah, when I talked to him, that's one of the first things we talked about is uh, getting some versatility. That's how he helped build the Dodgers roster. Uh, and he talked about corner outfield. I think he, he thinks Duggar can handle it in center, but the corner outfield position is getting some younger, more athletic guys. And you can do that and do it rather cheaply, but that doesn't sound like 2019 is going to be a, a real run for anything. No, and that's, I mean, that's realistic, and that's probably the right way to do it, right? I mean, so many of the teams that are successful now, the Astros blew it all up, mm -hmm. had the patience to build from the farm system, didn't mind stinking for a couple of years because they could see the bigger picture. I think the Giants, considering the kind of the dearth of talent in their farm system, you know, they've got to re rebuild that too. So it's not like, hey, sign Bryce Harper, problem solved. Yeah. They've got organization-wide needs that go deep and far and wide and like the only reasonable thing is to start building you know finding building blocks do you think they trade Bumgarner as a way to add to those building blocks that's a good question and i don't know and you you know you keep reading how people talk about it and it to me it's not clear to me it could go either way the the, the signals are mixed i think that they're probably listening i think they'd probably prefer to keep him i think that I think the teams, this the, the, it gets overblown to some extent, but teams need leadership. They need role models. So when they do restock with these young players coming up from the farm system, they look at Madison Bumgarner and his preparation and his thought process and his composure and all those things, and they've got kind of somebody to look at as, this is the way we do it here. So I think for that reason, not to mention the fact that he's still uh, an above average major league starter, fans like him, you've got a little character for the franchise. So I'm going to bet no, but 80%. You know, okay. Yeah. yeah. And it always depends on who's going to offer what. And we, yeah, right. he's got to have his socks knocked off. But I think one of the things, that, part of his MO as well is getting pitching depth and having the you know, Dodgers had too many starters. Too many starters is never a bad thing. And I think you look at, look at the A's and what happened to them this last year, and that's an example of that. Um, yeah, and, and your wife has had dealings, I'm sure, with Farhan Zaidi with the A's before. Yeah, love them. H hired another A's, I think another former A's guy for the front office as well. So do you think there's a chance, and I know you've written about this, a chance that uh, they break the streak and there's actually a deal between the Giants <laughs> and the A's? Or is there resistance still on the A's side? I do think that I do think that's a possibility. I mean, Dave Cavill's an interesting figure in all that because he's been the guy who's probably talked the most smack about the rivalry. Yeah. You know, kind of in an effort to 
drum up some kind of interest in the Bay Bridge series and that kind of thing. But he, the the relationship has been genuinely frosty. And both sides say, ah, it has nothing to do with it. As Sandy Alderson said in the story, some of that rivalry goes above their pay grade. You know, I think ownership, <laughs> uh, they do yeah. feel some bad blood. You know, mm-hmm. there's the territorial rights issue. Yep. There's all kinds of stuff that, that factors into this. So I would look for maybe kind of a low-key deal between the Giants and A's just because just Billy and Farhan probably want to do it. Yeah, that'd be interesting because, yeah, it, it couldn't be, a, 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 you know, I don't think a blockbuster kind of deal. Mm-hmm. That would get either pilloried or just ground down to fine dirt as far as analysis. A low-level deal, what's the risk, right? Yeah, yeah right. I don't think it's going to be Bob Garner for Matt Chapman or anything. <laughs> I'd, do, I'd do that deal, by the way. <laughs> I would do that deal, too. <laughs> yeah, it'd be interesting. Uh, so, yeah, there. and the thing about the A's is they do have more organizational depth. So there's there's some talent you could get there. Uh, if you're Farhan Zaidi, and he knows that as well as anybody. He knows the Dodgers as well as anybody. And I do think that that was the little cherry on top for the Giants is plucking somebody from the Dodgers. I think, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think that rivalry aside, you look at teams that have done it right and built something long-lasting, and the Dodgers have done it, so the Giants can steal from some of that secret recipe. Mm-hmm. And some of that recipe dissolve, uh, involves massive amounts of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've figured some things out there. I mean, they've... Dodgers and Astros have been influential in the way they use their starting staffs, the way they handle the position players. I think some of the batting order things have been um, part of this big revolution in baseball. So Giants probably have been a step behind the curve. I'll be curious to see how the Zaidi roster and the Bochi philosophy um, come to mesh uh, in spring training, but it's going to look different. Do you think there's going to be a ballpark to mirror AT&T across the bay? <laughs> I think there are many hurdles to remain you know how many years have been asking this question a hundred right a hundred ballparks in a hundred years so i love the artist rendering though the artist rendering are beautiful just do those they'd be all set (laughs) right i remain skeptical i think like a lot of people it's that cliche of when there's a shovel in the ground then i'll believe it but i certainly do not believe it quite yet your wife susan has a hall of fame vote Mm -hmm. correct uh, I, I don't know if she's disclosed yet what what she's going to vote or or how she's going to look at it. And I will ask her in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. But we've had this controversy this week with the Veterans Committee mm-hmm. selections, and I just my jaw dropped that Harold Baines got in. Yeah. But we know this is political as much as anything else. He had former teammates, I think, mm-hmm. on the committee. Had Tony Larusa, had Jerry Reinsdorf, uh, but. And I feel bad for Harold Baines because, like, I had a great career, but right. now he's he's just getting hammered for something that's not his fault. I mean, Lee Smith was borderline, but Harold Baines, uh, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, Susan did a good thing yesterday. She she really she did a story on Larusa explaining mm-hmm. things. Um, the explanation doesn't really fly because it's kind of the things you just said and the yeah. kind of thing the kind of the um the worst you'd hope for from a hall of fame voter was like hey he was a great guy a uh, quiet guy you know good leader and all this stuff but you have to in this day and age you've got to make an airtight statistical case mm-hmm. he's better than these guys he ranked in this stratosphere of the the league for this mm-hmm. this long and LaRusa kind of said, oh, if you look at the categories, he was in the top four of this and that over the years. Well, he, he wasn't. He was a really good player for a long time and a good guy. And the problem is when somebody like Baines get in, and I agree with you, great career, no reason to take it out on him, the frustrations. and But now you're saying, well, this guy should be in and this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy because right. Baines is in. The standard is different. 
So you look for guys that now match that standard and it's so much lower. So you see a lot of people saying today, Will Clark compares favorable to Harold Bain. Absolutely. Which he does, but it just opens up a whole nother uncomfortable conversation about similar players. I don't think Will Clark's a Hall of Famer. I know some Giants fans are going to get mad at me that he was a great player. And, and it's not all his fault had he been healthy enough, like Don Mattingly. I think there's a parallel there. Uh, the way their careers were going, hell yeah, they were Hall of Famers. Yep. But unfortunately, it didn't work out. And Orlando Cepeda, I think mm-hmm. that was another one that changed the bar when he mm-hmm. got voted in. I don't necessarily think he was a Hall of Famer, but he's in. And he's more of a Hall of Famer than Harold Baines, I'll say that. Right, and I think it was you know Jay Jaffe who does a great job of, of tracking Hall of Fame stuff for... he. Baseball reference, he's got a whole formula about where Hall of Famers should stand. He said the Hall of Fame is for the special players, for the elite special players. So when you let in somebody like Harold Baines, I don't want to say you're insulting the guys who are in there, but yeah. you've lessened the stature a little bit. You've, you've taken a little bit of varnish off that bronze plaque. And people knock the writers for the way they vote, and sometimes justifiably so. But other voting systems, such as a committee of former players and coaches and stuff like that, they've got their own favoritism. Mm-hmm. And you could question the Jack Morris selection from a year ago for a lot of... That one didn't bother me as much. But I think if you look back over the years, I think Bill James did a great book. This is years ago. He did, it was called Whatever Happened to the Hall of Fame. And it was kind of how voting process has a evolved over the years in reaction to mistakes that had been made in the voting. Yeah. Well, there's no perfect system. There never will be. Uh, and, and I get that. It's a museum, you know, and people, and that's part of it, I think, that the Hall of Fame wants. They want these arguments. They want these yeah. discussions. It puts them in the spotlight. But Harold Bain's got 6% of the vote. <laughs> yeah. You, right. you, you, you guys didn't mess up that one, you know. It's just the way. <laughs> right. it, uh, right. And again, right. it's not a knock on the guy. Right, right. I think that was kind of a, a lot of rea- ri- uh, writers' reaction was, hey, hey, make sure everybody knows this isn't our screw-up. <laughs> yeah, right. we've, we've got our own issues, but this <laughs> yeah. isn't one of them. I, I, I don't know if you're ever going to solve that problem, but <laughs> this is one where it's on the Veterans Committee, so it's totally out of your control. It's how the hall runs it. But I'm sure there have got to be discussions like, hey, guys, you know, I understand you've got your your biases and you've got your relationships, and it is a political process, but this one is a little embarrassing to me. Yeah, and, you know, I hate uh, the way the Hall of Fame, just as, like, if you're a baseball fan and you, you grew up watching who gets in, who's out, you know, it's such a cherished thing. So I hate that now every year it becomes a source of such contention. I remember Griffey gets in with like 97% of the vote and the dominating story was, well, who were the three guys who didn't vote for, who were the three writers who didn't vote for him? Who were the little witch hunt? Because people were so upset that it wasn't unanimous. There's always some kind of source of anger now at the Hall of Fame voting. Yeah. And there is a year where nobody got in. And there was, you know, the Bonds Clemens debate is always so fierce. It's such a source, it's such a sore spot. And that's a shame. It should be a cause of celebration. Yeah. Yeah. It takes away the fun and it takes away for the players too. Uh, so I'll put you on the spot. Who are the no doubters in your mind right now? I mean, Mariano Rivera is coming up. That would, I think that'd be one of them. Yeah. I don't have, I don't have a vote yet. I've been in and out of the BBWAA because yeah. I kind of drift over to football every now and then. So I, I don't even know where my clock is right now, but, um, you know, the guy I I think that Edgar Martinez, especially now with Baines in, if you're yeah. on the if you're on the fence about oh. Edgar Martinez, oh Edgar's happy right now. Edgar's like, well, okay, I'm I'm now the DH that is yeah. better than that guy who's, who just got into the Hall of Fame. I think I'm a, I would be a Scott Rowland voter. Mm-hmm. I know that you know the gut reaction thing is when you hear that name is is not Hall of Fame level, but if you look at his stats defensively, offensively, WAR, and all these new 
ways of measuring players. Roland stacks up very favorably, so I would vote for him. Um, trying to think of who else is on the back. Uh, Musina. Yeah. Schilling. Yeah. Uh, Larry Walker. Larry Walker. I, he's on the. I would have to look at that one again, but very, very close yeah. to voting for him. I'm going to give you a, a guy that I, I'd like to see the Veterans Committee vote yeah. on. Bobby Gritch. Yes. Without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. You look at his numbers uh, with the new stats available, and he stacks among the top 10 second basemen in baseball history. Yeah. And, and I know there's a drumbeat for Lou Whitaker, mm-hmm. too. And I think Gritch compares favorably to Whitaker. Yeah. Gritch was, I mean, you play, for some reason, some guys just get overshadowed, overlooked, underappreciated. And Gritch was that guy. Yeah. And I don't remember enough about him from a personal standpoint about why he was kind of in the shadows. But. Yeah. Um, he was great at a position where greatness is rare. Yeah, maybe if he had stayed in Baltimore on the East Coast, I don't know. Yeah, he had some of his greatest years with the Angels, though. But he did have some injuries, too. Hall of Fame mustache, though. Yes. So, All-type all mustaches. So I caught you uh, in the middle of the story. Can we disclose uh, what you're doing right now? Yeah, we're uh, doing this po- podcast from the Warriors facility because I'm here to do a Draymond Green story. Every year, The Athletic is going to pick a person of the year mm-hmm. and it was the choice this year was Draymond Green in part because he kind of embodies the city so well mm-hmm. not the biggest star but he's the grittiest player on the team he's got kind of the attitude that's very an Oakland attitude an Oracle arena attitude so uh, he's the guy and he's kind of emerged as one of the great defensive players of all time who's the, uh, the biggest baseball fan on the Warriors is it uh well, it might have been Clay for a while because his brother yeah. was playing in the show. Now, now he's mad at the A's and he's mad at the, the Dodgers and so forth. But uh, I guess Steph and I don't know who else. Yeah, I don't know who else either. I mean, certainly certainly Clay. I mean, he yeah. was a big-time pitcher. He had a, yeah. he was a left, lefty with a big fastball. Uh, his, his dad always jokes that he made a mistake. He could have been a big star <laughs> if he'd actually played baseball. But um, he's the guy that I think genuinely knows the game and, and really watches it. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully his, his brother ends up somewhere back in the major leagues again. I thought he was a pretty talented yeah. guy, too. So, Well, Daniel, thanks for uh, joining us here at the Warriors facility, talking baseball. <laughs> I end up doing this a lot, where I'm, I'm at Levi's talking baseball, I'm here at Oracle talking baseball, but I, I like doing it. I like Have doing you done it from the Shark Tank in San Jose yet? That's coming. Okay. okay. If I can find any Sharks players into baseball, that would be interesting. But thanks for joining us, and uh, congratulations on the gig with the Athletic, and we'll be reading your stuff. Uh, I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun, both for the writer and the reader. Great. Thanks so much for having me on. All right. Daniel Brown of The Athletic on Triple's Alley Report. Again, thanks to Daniel for joining us, and I've been really happy with uh, the guests we've been able to get so far on Triple's Alley Report, considering it's the offseason, and there's more to come in the new year. We hope you continue listening at BlueWirePods.com, part of the Blue Wire Podcast family in several cities now. A Brother podcast is Kevin Jones' 49er podcast, and I guess this week he can talk about future Hall of Famer George Kittle. What a game he had. Uh, He's a special player. Uh, The historic career start of quarterback Nick Mullins. No kidding. And dropping out of the top draft slot. He'll probably talk about that and a few other things. Kevin Jones' 49ers podcast, part of the close-knit Blue Wire podcast family at bluewirepods.com. Let me add another name that the Veterans Committee for the Hall of Fame in baseball should have considered. I mean, if Harold Baines and Lee Smith get in, you sure as hell can put Tommy John in. Maybe the greatest surgery in sports history is named after him, but he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame just because he was a guinea pig. 
not just because he was a canary in the coal mine, not because he took anesthesia, laid on a gurney, and got cut up by doctors. It's what he did after the surgery. He used his ability and his knowledge to win some 160 more games in the major leagues, 288 total. That's 26th all-time, 22nd all-time highest war among pitchers at 79, 26th in shutouts, 20th in innings pitched, and there are close to 80 pitchers in the Hall of Fame right now. He used his ability to make that surgery a great success and pave the way to save the careers of countless pitchers. I was actually there that night at Dodger Stadium when Tommy John walked off the mound during an all-star season in 1974. He knew his arm was shot and he was walking into an uncertain future. He was later operated on by Dr. Frank Job, who was recognized by the Hall of Fame five years ago. Now Tommy John, by the way, says those surgeries are being overdone, but there's no doubt of their historical significance. Uh, Tommy John should at least be considered for the Buck O'Neill Lifetime Achievement Award. Now, I hesitate to get too much into the winter meetings, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, but there is a story circulating about the Cardinals' interest in reliever Will Smith, who won the Willie Mack Award in 2018. Uh, He's a year from free agency, also a Tommy John surgery success story, and still pretty cheap at $5 million. The Cardinals supposedly are dangling Jose Martinez, right-handed hitting, first baseman outfielder, 300 hitter, OPS of 897 and 821 the last two seasons, and that would tower over just about every giant. He's under team control for a few more years, but he's going to be 30 years old. In fact, he just turned 30, and he's not good defensively. If the deal is done, Zaidi might be saying he doesn't think the Giants will contend in 2019, despite what he told me. And again, what's he going to say when he's just starting out? I'm sure he has a specific plan for the Giants front office. But when you're doing this for public consumption, you're going to say, yeah, I'm going to do what I can to make this team a contender. Narrator, they probably won't contend. But his attitude is to improve the roster one move at a time. Smith had a good year, but there's less of a guarantee year-to-year with relievers. So you get a little pop at a rather cheap price from a guy who at least should have a couple more good years, a bridge to returning to contention. And he's got the same birthday as mine, July 25th, so to me that seals the deal. It's a deal I would seriously consider. We're also hearing the Braves are interested in Smith, and they've got young prospects, and Smith is from Georgia. Uh, The point is, his value may never be higher. And the Giants might not be a contender, probably won't be in 2019, so this is one you got to look at. Another thing about Zaidi, he will collect arms for the starting rotation. And the Giants are interested in 27-year-old Japanese lefty Yusei Kikuchi, who could be a middle-rotation guy. The kind of arm, kind of move that does not speak rebuild. But like possibly getting value back for Will Smith, it's about opportunity to get some value. Look at the ex-giant Andrew McCutcheon getting a three-year, $50 million deal from the Phillies. Good for him. As we said last year, he's not MVP caliber McCutcheon anymore, but he's still pretty good. And he ended up 20th in on-base percentage in baseball. 20 home runs, can still play a pretty good right field. Weighted runs created plus of 120. That's comparable to players like Bellinger and Springer. Not bad. I mean, no way he was going to get the five years he was seeking, but three years and 50 plus a club option for the fourth year, a little more than some people thought he would get. And it doesn't preclude the Phillies from pursuing Bryce Harper and or Manny Machado. They're about still 80 million short of the luxury tax threshold. Also, several teams are interested in Brandon Belt. 
and the Giants have been talking. But he has a no-trade clause that identifies 10 teams, and he's a little bit pricey. Uh, again, if he plays a whole year, if he plays a whole year, he's still a good value. But that's the rub. Uh, this might be another opportunity, though, for Zaidi that he'd be tempted to consider to make the roster younger and maybe a little less expensive. And I can hear all the Belt fans out there, no. As always, depends on what you get back. No matter what happens, there are going to be people applauding the Belt trade and knee-jerk derision of the Belt trade. Like I said, he inspires emotions. But if you're Zaidi, and this is why you bring in an executive from another club who's not married to these players, you take out at least some of the emotion. You never take out all the emotion. It's still a people business. But I think uh, players like Belt have been around long enough to understand that's what it is. And trades are a possibility. And you have to consider the value. And if you get a good enough value back, it is an opportunity. And I think that's the way Zaidi is looking at it. We're going to see how it shakes down this offseason. If I can make some good deals, well, hey, maybe I've got a better team. And maybe I'm, I'm a buyer at the trade deadline. That's a big maybe, of course. I don't think they're contenders. You look at this team right now, and they're certainly not. But there's a lot of work still to do. So we'll see what happens on next week's edition of Triple Salad Report. Could be a totally different team by then.